But there was this one beggar who was kind of different than the others. You know, normally they always just have the little cardboard sign, and uh, it says, you know, homeless and hungry maybe, or it says, we'll work for food, or, you know, there's those that like say, we'll work for beer, or there's ones that are so, um, there's such a message on it, you can't even read it from where you're sitting in your car. But this one was different. This guy was different. His sign said not only um, homeless and hungry, but also said, I'm blind. I'm blind. Which you're kind of like, why would you put that on the sign? Maybe it would be like to get, you'd get a little more sympathy from people because, hey, this guy's blind, so we should really help him out. On the other hand, if you're blind, you're thinking as you go by, like, this guy won't even know if we just go on by. And uh, so it's almost like, well, I'm definitely not giving him money. He doesn't even see me. Leslie and I live uh, not quite to Gretna, but so every day when I leave work here, I go out on, inter- on the interstate here and go west, go south on I-80 toward Gretna, and, and I, I exit at the, uh, the Sapp Brothers exit, if you know what I'm talking about, big coffee can, and there's like a Cracker Barrel there, and almost always, particularly on the weekends, there's almost always a homeless guy there at the top of the exit ramp. Sometimes there's two. There's one there, and there's a guy just down the street a little ways. I don't know if it's because the truck stops there, and it's kind of the first main exit as you come into Omaha from the west. But this guy was different, and this guy uh, eventually, this blind beggar, homeless guy, he was just doing what he always does every day, goes out and, uh, and begs and tries to get something. But this one day, the traffic was particularly heavy, right? And he was like, what's all the commotion? And he eventually stops someone and says, what is going on? And the guy says, uh, Jesus is coming. Like Jesus of Nazareth is about to come by here. And maybe this guy he caught was the beginning of the crowd. And uh, so he just starts calling out, right? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Like, I don't know where Jesus, this guy said Jesus is coming and I don't know if he's a mile down the stretch still, or maybe I can't see anything. So he just starts shouting, right? Can you imagine this? He apparently had heard of Jesus. Like, imagine you're a blind guy. Imagine the first time you hear there's this guy, Jesus, walking around who is healing blind people. And like, if you're in your blind little college, I don't know what blind people do back then or, you know, in the Bible times, but you maybe hung out together and go, let's try to get our hands on this guy, like, we could see again. And so he knew what this Jesus could do. And he doesn't try to tell his story. Oh, Jesus, I've been to synagogue. I go to synagogue every Saturday. My Jewish law keeping is impeccable. I, that's, what, that's what we would do, right? That's what the guy on the corner maybe does. I'm not going to hurt you. Just give me some money. We try to like, he just says, have mercy on me. And eventually people keep coming and they basically try to tell him to shut up. I mean, they They all are like, shut up, like stop talking. The Bible just says, they said to be quiet. It was probably not that nice. But they're like, stop yelling, okay? Like Jesus doesn't want to be around you is probably what they thought. And he just shouts all the louder, right? Son of David, have mercy on me. And eventually Jesus gets to him, and you've heard this before, Jesus like wants to talk to him. And so somehow they bring this guy over to him, and he says, it says he asked the man, what do you want me to do for you? Now, again, time out for just a second. What if Jesus came to you today, 21st century, you're 16, you're 17, you're 14, and Jesus said to you, what do you want me to do for you? Like, what do you say to that, right? Maybe you even go, 
I don't know, man, nothing. Like, I'm wearing nicer clothes than you are in your little robe there. I mean, in today's world, we're like, if it was Bill Gates, we'd have something. I mean, we'd be like, I'll tell you what you can do for me. You can, like, give me enough money so I never have to work again. But Jesus, what would you ask him for? Eternal life? Well, you know, many of you in here would go, I already have that. What would you ask Jesus for? You're not blind. All your body parts work fine. Maybe to bring someone back from the dead, maybe a mom or something that you lost. I don't know. But why does Jesus even ask that question? Isn't that crazy? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he just says, Lord, I want to see. And it says, Jesus, Jesus said, receive your sight. And then Jesus also said, your faith has healed you. Literally, your faith, your trust in me has saved you. My guess is, I mean, this guy didn't ask for anything more. It sounds like Jesus said, you are saved. You are like in. You saw something in me. You knew who I was and you trusted me. And it says, immediately this guy received his sight. He followed Jesus. He praised God. When all the people saw it, they all praised God. He had this radical encounter with Jesus. We all want to have an encounter with Jesus, right? In fact, the question that I get asked more than any other question from high school students is this, is I just don't feel God. I do this every week. I just don't feel God. I'll never forget, it was really just two months ago. It was January 12th. It was a Sunday of 2014. And this student, who's now a junior in college, an ex-Oasis student, a former Oasis student, caught me, still was here, uh, comes to church here occasionally, caught me after church, and said that very thing, caught me and said, Brad, I, um, he goes, I'm even a part of the small group. We are reading the Bible, like in a year. He goes, I have not missed a reading for three months. Three months. He goes, I've been doing awesome. And he goes, but I just don't feel God. And in essence, he was saying, I was told that I would, or I thought that if I just did this, you know, I would. I'm getting in the Word. I don't know. Maybe other things were going better than normal because he had kind of the Word of God washing over him every day. But he said, I just don't feel God. That same week, or maybe it was a little later, I recall hearing this lady talk, um, just mentioned about her husband, that he... um, was getting frustrated at work. There was a lot of little things that weren't getting done. He was kind of in charge of the office or the branch, and there were just little things that no one was taking care of, and he had enough other things to do, and he, um, he just kind of lost it, lost his temper, was just upset. I can totally relate to this. I feel like not so much at work, but there's times where you think you're getting better, and here's the thing. He was telling his wife that he's been a Christian all this time, and he was getting frustrated that he still gets so frustrated, that he lost his temper, that he was getting so angry. Have you ever felt that before? I mean, again, you're maybe only in high school, but I know I've felt like I get so impatient maybe with my kids. I have young kids, and uh, my two-year-old just is a ball of energy and loves to talk, and he's the cutest kid in the world, but he also just wants everything right now. And we have this six-week-old, Leslie and I, she's holding him in the back, and so it's in test your patience, Right? But you still want an encounter with God. Both of those situations, they want to see progress. They want to experience Jesus more. And um, we all want that. Jesus, he really wants to flip our lives. He wants to flip our lives. He really wants to do that. And it's weird because we want him to, too, don't we? We want him to. 
But it doesn't always happen that way. For me, when I was in high school, I wanted so badly to have an encounter with Jesus, and yet I felt like I was so shy. I felt like, how could God ever use me? I was in a school of only 100 students, and I just, I just thought, God, can you use me? And I felt kind of locked into this small town. Um, some of you, you're in this huge city, or this huge school, and you feel like trapped amongst all these people, and you go, God, do you want to use me to reach other people? Like, really? Who am I? And you doubt, and you walk through this week after week, and you come to Oasis, but you maybe haven't really encountered Jesus. We all want to have a significant encounter with Jesus, and he wants to flip our lives, but how does that happen? So, we're starting this series tonight called Flipped, and during this series, we're going um, to be talking about people in the New Testament who had significant encounters with Jesus, but we're not just going to tell their story. We really, I hope we really get to some nuts and bolts, nitty-gritty stuff for you guys to learn, to try, to, to put into practice. So the Gospels, the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are filled with stories of these individuals. And we're only going to cover four of them. Individual people who had a pretty radical encounter with Jesus. And uh, the writers of all these stories observed how Jesus approached each one of these people and loved them and didn't treat them as a project or as a program, but loved them and wanted to see their lives flipped and saw it happen, at least the beginning of it. So, here's where we're going tonight. It's this story, that one day, Jesus meets a guy named Zacchaeus. You maybe guessed that by a title, like, up a tree. And you've all heard the story of Zacchaeus before, right? Um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And I'm not going to sing the song. Most of you know it. Many of you know it. If you don't know it, you just go, that was weird that there's a song about this. And who uses words like we, little man, anyway? That's kind of strange. But if you grew up in church, you probably know that song. Here's the thing, though. You've all heard this story before. I don't want you to write this off as if, like, oh, blah, 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 Zacchaeus. I know what happened to Zacchaeus. I knew that song, you guys. I don't remember the response that Zacchaeus gives. I do not remember hearing that, reading it. I didn't know it. I don't recall until at least high school, if not in college, that I, like, finished the story. Because the song doesn't tell the whole story. So don't miss this. So grab your Bible or your Bible apps and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. So I am fine if you have a Bible app and you don't want to use your Bible or that's what you use. I know I say that every time, but pull it out on your phone. Just don't be checking Twitter. So Luke chapter 19. I'm just going to kind of walk us through this. So Jesus entered Jericho. This is kind of a series of some of these stories. That story of the beggar, the blind beggar, his name was Bartimaeus, um, was right before this, the end of chapter 18. But chapter 19, verse 1, says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Chapter 18 makes it very, very obvious. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified, to die in your place for your sins. He, He was going to the cross. He knew exactly where he was going. He knew he was going to die once he got to Jerusalem, he knew it was going to happen. And if you read even 18, chapter 18, verses 31, he tells his disciples that, and they all didn't understand him. But so, he's passing through Jericho, and um, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
That title, chief tax collector, is found nowhere else in the New Testament. There's lots of tax collectors. I guess Zacchaeus was like kind of the head of them all. Now, he was, it says he was a chief tax, chief tax collector. There's probably lots of these guys that were kind of more head honchos. And he was wealthy. Not Luke's way of giving him a compliment, I don't think. You've heard this before. I don't want to paint a worse picture than it is, but these tax collectors were, tra- were traitors. They were crooks. They, they were supposed to take a certain amount by the Roman government, but they took whatever they could take from the people, and they could keep the access, the excess. And um, most likely, Zacchaeus was a Jew, and so all the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, really saw them as traitors because they were working for the Roman empire, the authority that was very oppressive, and so they were, they were traitors to their people, these tax collectors. They were pretty ruthless. Um, they were loaded. Sure, they were wealthy, but people definitely didn't like them. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. So that's significant, right? I think so. If you're a guy in here, you will be tempted as you get older by money, status, and power. All three of those things is something Zacchaeus had, and yet he wanted to see Jesus. Uh, like the beggar, he, he had heard of this guy. He, I don't know what he thought Jesus could do for him, but he wanted to see who Jesus was. He was not happy enough. He was not well off enough with his money, power, and status, but he was short, right? He was a wee little man, and he could not because of the crowd. He, he couldn't see. So verse 4, he ran ahead climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. I don't really know why the, uh, the kind of tree is significant. Didn't study up on that. There's lots of mentions of fig trees in the New Testament, but maybe it was just a common tree. That's what he climbs. Um, I picture like uh, Danny DeVito, if you know who that is. Short, stocky, kind of bald man. You know, no one liked him. If you're in my generation, Danny DeVito was like, a, the Penguin in one of the old Batman movies. None of you re- remember this. I was a kid. But um, played a ridiculous... Anyway, just... I don't know any other celebrities that are wee little men. But maybe Danny DeVito. Verse 5, though. This is where it picks up. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, how did Jesus know his name? That's one question. How did Jesus know his name? There is no record anywhere else in the New Testament that Jesus and Zacchaeus had ever talked before, they hadn't met before. Maybe the Holy Spirit just uh, kind of prompted Jesus with this guy's name. Maybe he was so well known as a chief tax collector that somehow word got back to Jesus, hey, stay away from this guy. But Jesus calls him by name. And little side note, maybe Jesus is calling you by name. Jesus always calls people by name. He knows your name, he knows the number of hairs on your head, the Bible says, and he is relentlessly calling people by name. And he says to Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, I'm coming to your house. Now real quick, um, I think these are important steps. If you want to know how to become a Christian even, maybe this is a stretch a little bit, but I think there's two steps right here that could tell you how to become a Christian, or that could tell you how to tell somebody else to become a Christian. Um, He says, step one, come down immediately. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, number one meaning always, before you come to know Jesus, you always put yourself higher than Jesus, right? I'm in control of my life. Jesus, religion, Christianity is a crutch. I don't need him. I just don't need it. 
I'm, I mean, I don't know if I'm better than Jesus, but we kinda, we're kind of high up. We're kind of high and mighty. We're kind of proud in our own, our own image, right? And so step one, Jesus says, you need to come down. But step two, he says, you invite Jesus to your house. It's not just a philosophy. He doesn't, um, he doesn't just say, recite this blah, 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 and say you believe in me and I'll leave, I'll leave you alone. Jesus says, I want to come to your house. In that culture for sure, and in our culture today even still, this was an act of friendship, right? When someone just goes, hey, I'm coming to your house, it meant Jesus wanted to be friends with this guy. Jesus wanted to be friends with this guy. Now, um, look at his response, too. So it says, he came down, I, assume, I mean, came down from the tree at once and welcomed him gladly. Again, have no idea what Zacchaeus is, why he wanted to see Jesus, Jesus what, he, what he wanted to get from him, was pretty well off as he was. I mean, seriously, think of a celebrity. Not Bill Gates, but think of like, a, I don't know, a Tom Hanks or some like just loaded. I mean, just had everything. Now, Tom Hanks or someone like that, Christian Bale, well, they're well-liked. This guy was hated. But he had stuff. And yet it says he welcomed him gladly, like, yeah, come to my house. One commentator, I just, I'm just going to, I mean, one commentator suggested that it's very likely that in this verse, Zacchaeus actually becomes a Christian. He, he receives Jesus gladly, and in that moment, he basically trusts Jesus and says, I believe this guy is who he says he is, and I'm going to welcome him. He wasn't put off by him. He wanted his friendship. He wanted a relationship with him. But that's just one commentator. But um, So that's kind of what happens. Jesus sees him, says, hey, what are you doing up there? Come down. I'm coming to your house. He comes down and goes. Now, again, I think there's something to notice here. We, we kind of maybe go, oh, like, that's sweet. That's really nice of Jesus that he likes the, the bad people that everyone else hated. But even for us, we would think, this is what I would think if I was on a mission trip. Say, DR students, there's 43 of us. We have an awesome team going to the DR first week of June, second week of June. And uh, when you go to the DR, man, you go to these slums, just these villages. These kids are living in one room, houses, concrete floors, nasty. There are, there are just this crowd, this mob of kids chasing the bus as we come into their, their neighborhood. Just want to be with us. But man, if I like found this kid in the tree. I mean, he'd come down gladly. Group of Americans, oh man, you're loaded. I mean, not just with money, but they're just they're like, I want to be around these people. If I was trying to witness to him, just here's what we think Christianity is. We're surprised. I would be surprised here. Why doesn't Jesus just go, come down from the tree and uh, pray a prayer? Hey, Zacchaeus, here's my story, blah, blah, blah. Here's my testimony. Would you like to accept me and pray this prayer, right? We tend to just make Christianity a formula, and um, we really like that formula. And in America today, we really want the formula. I mean, we're just like, give me the bare minimum requirements, and it's not even about Jesus, right? We want the bare minimum entry requirements for heaven. And we, almost all of us in here, prayed a certain prayer because we're like, I want heaven someday. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not going to give you a, a prayer to pray. I want to come to your house. I want to have a relationship with you. He goes, I don't care if you're a nasty, crooked chief tax collector and everyone hates you. I want a relationship with you. But I would be, I mean, that's not how I would do it. And that's not how I picture Jesus doing it. And we've all heard the story before. 
But when I thought about this, man, I just go, huh, he really wants to, sp- he wants to be your friend. Jesus is your Savior. You understood that for five years, many of you, for ten years. Jesus is your teacher. Yeah, that's great. Check that box. He, Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus wants to come to your house and hang out with you. So, two responses. Zacchaeus' first response welcomes him gladly. Second response, verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, Ugh, are you kidding me, Jesus? Do you know who this guy is? That guy's the scum of the earth. That guy swindled me and all my relatives. I hate him. I want him dead. Like, I want to kill that guy. Jesus, what are you doing? And they mutter. Maybe a lot of them are religious people. Um, How many of you mutter about certain people? No, we all do, so don't raise your hand. There's certain people in your life now who you go, that guy would never come to have a a relationship with Jesus. You guys, we sit, I did this in high school, maybe you don't. We sit in our small groups at Oasis, and some of you go to the same school, and you tell a story about so-and-so, and everybody else from your school goes, oh, who are you talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kid smokes weed like it's grass, man. I mean, just like, that kid, oh, he's such a druggie. Oh, that kid, gosh, she's like, she is a, and you say things about people, and you call them names, and you do it at church in small group. And uh, that was, con- I mean, that's convicting to me, and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, your friends do it, I mean, your non-Christian friends do it, and we mutter about anyone. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. What is he doing? Why is Jesus not coming to my house? But man, okay, think of this. Who would you mutter about if that person like, came to know Christ? Who you would go, think of that person right now in your mind, who you would go, there's no way that person would come to know Jesus. You'd go, man, that guy, there's no hope for him. That was probably Zacchaeus in everyone's mind. And Jesus said he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus doesn't make him clean his act up. Jesus doesn't, he must fully know everything. He doesn't say, hey, go get your life straightened out and then come follow me. I have this, this little card, I'm going to keep talking, but this little card that, um, Ben, you want to start passing that out and maybe, Ian, can you help him or some other leaders in the back? Um, You've all seen this card before, if you're an upperclassman, you have, because I love, I think this is so clarifying, and I use this a lot when I was leading tribe. Um, these, two, uh, these two principles, you've seen this before, again, if, unless you're maybe a freshman or a sophomore. You can put those on the screen. The, uh, first of all, the religion tends to operate on this principle. Very, very easy, very, very simple. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. But Christianity, the gospel, is actually the opposite of this. And this is our default, the top one. But the gospel operates on this principle. I'm accepted by God through Christ first. Therefore, I obey. Therefore, God accepts me just as I am. He doesn't make me clean up my act first. He doesn't make me go ask for forgiveness for all the people I've wronged. He doesn't make me go through a 12-step program. He accepts me first. Our default is to think we always slip into the religion default. Or we just go, I don't even want to read the Bible because I haven't been acting right or I haven't haven't been acting very Christianly and I need to do that. I need to start obeying before I can come to Jesus. Um, Jesus just shows that right here. I I don't know what principle Zacchaeus is operating under, but Jesus 
Jesus makes this assumption that the gospel is utterly and completely different than every other religion. And again, I won't go into this. You've heard this a lot of times, at least if you were with me in tribe. Verse 8. So here's the thing. A couple scene changes, I think. I think verse 7, all the people saw this, began to mutter, he has gone. So I think Jesus goes with Zacchaeus to his house, probably has his disciples with him. Hey, bro, it's not just me. These 12 guys are coming with us. We're on our way to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed for everyone's sins. But then the crowd follows, probably not too far behind. I mean, Jesus always, at this, by this point, this is the end of his ministry, he always had a crowd following him. That's probably what's happening in verse 7. Jesus is going there or has gotten to Zacchaeus' house. And I think by verse 8, just my, the way I'm reading it, it's kind of the end of their time together in the house. My guess is the, uh, the, the meal's been had. Jesus maybe explains the kingdom of God a little bit to Zacchaeus, talks to him a little further, and, um, and Zacchaeus responds. And this is huge. This is what the song doesn't tell me, but this is crazy. In that second, uh, uh, you don't have to go back to it, the gospel principle, obedience is actually in there. You know, sometimes we think, and maybe even sometimes I've falsely given the impression that you come to know Jesus, and this is what we do. We, just, we go, this is great with Christianity, all this grace stuff. You can just go out and sin and sin and sin and sin, and you fill up your sin bucket. And then it's wonderful. You just, there's this thing called forgiveness, because Jesus died for our sins, and so we just go, Jesus, here's all my sin. I'm just going to dump it out on you. If you have a Catholic background, you know it's called confessional, and you had to go through the priest to do that. But you still, you empty your sin bucket, and you go, yes, empty sin bucket. I'm just going to go fill it up again this weekend. Awesome. And, um, and we make a formula out of Christianity, and it doesn't work like that. Um, obedience is actually still part of it. It's just our response. That if Jesus Christ did that for us, and just did that for everyone, not just me, if he's that beautiful and radiant and, and just wonderful, man, his law is the best thing for me. The life that he offers me is the best possible way to live. And why would I want to go against that? So I obey. And so it says, Jesus, or Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. And again, he's saying, and I don't know, if, I don't think that was just a, a term you used for an elder or something. He was saying, look, master, master. He calls him his Lord. Again, I think showing he He's a Christian by this point. He's had this heart change. Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. I remember, I was in high school, like, whoa, really? Think of all the stuff you have. You don't have a ton of stuff here in high school, but you have some stuff. He doesn't just say all of, like, half of his future salary. He doesn't say half of my savings. This is not just his money. Half of everything he owns. And he was pretty, probably pretty loaded. If you're a poor person, you were going, wow. Like that guy was a crook and a swindler, but he, he's like giving all his possessions away to me and to other, these other poor people. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Four times the amount. I, I was thinking of this. If someone like vandalized my house, I was going to say a, a car crash, but that's an accident. If someone like purposefully vandalized my house, you know, I'd be pretty upset. Duh, like I'd be pretty upset. But I would be happy if the person simply paid for the damage that they had done. I mean, if they just gave me the money even to fix, I would just be like, okay, I wish you wouldn't have done that, and I don't know why you did, and I maybe would hold a little bit of a grudge. But I would be kind of content to have like just the four times the amount, four times. 
That's incredible. Do you imagine, I mean, how many people did Zacchaeus cheat? And maybe it says, if I have cheated anybody, maybe he wasn't as bad as we make him out to be. But four times the amount. Jesus says to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. That's kind of his way of saying, is a believer, is truly saved. The cross-reference in my Bible says to look up Galatians 3.7, which I talked looked up. I'm not going to go there now, but he's a believer. He's, he's truly saved from his sins. He's a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, this is like Jesus' mission. It's like his calling card. And Jesus just says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And Jesus says this all throughout the Gospels. M- numerous times in Luke, numerous times in Mark. And I go, um, who are you? Are you lost? Or really, in your heart of hearts, do you go, no, no, I'm, I'm found. Because Jesus came to seek that which was lost. And maybe you were lost and now you're found, and I know that's a lot of you in here, but some of us go, well, but I grew up in church and my parents always went to church. And uh, so I just, I really look down on Zacchaeus types over here at school. But I'm not, I'm not, I, you know, we just go through the motions sometimes, some of us, we're so Christianized. But he came to seek and to save what was lost. I think Jesus was just saying, if you think you're found, you don't need me, and I'm going to move right along. He wants to save you too, but sometimes we're so proud and we're so arrogant, we're so self-righteous. Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. Here's a couple comments that I kind of just, this is my own commentary I pulled out of this. Don't try to write all these down, but I think these three things are going to be on the screen. First of all, and I'm going to read them just because I want to get them just right. I think Jesus is far less concerned about what you say you believe and much more concerned about who you are trusting in. You guys, we're really, really good about saying what's right. Oh, I believe that. Oh, I believe this. But who are, really, really, who are we really trusting in? What do our actions say? What, what do our actions say we believe? Here's the second one. Jesus didn't come just to bring us more knowledge and facts about him. And um, even, again, to my own, I somewhat apologize how, how much I have maybe given the impression, and I have half believed growing up as a Christian, and many of you have believed, that the more you know about the Bible, the better Christian you are. That that is never what Christianity is about, knowing Bible trivia. It's fine. It's good. That's great if you know who Joshua's dad was. But it's not just about Bible knowledge. He came to give us new desires, to give us a new heart. He came to transform us from the inside out. And I think this, it all starts with God, obviously, and it all happens by God. But it involves our participation. And it's not us working out anything. Salvation is fully and completely and finally an act of God. But man, when it becomes, it's not just about a prayer we prayed once when we were eight. Jesus wants our whole life. Jesus wants our obedience. Jesus wants us to look more like him. Jesus wants us to have an encounter with him. Jesus wants to flip our lives around. And sadly, we just don't experience it. We want, we want the easy button. We want the bare minimum entrance requirement because we really, a lot of us, just want heaven and we don't really want to live a holy life. We want an easy life. We want a comfortable life. And sometimes the pleasures of sin 
are much more enticing than righteous living is. And we have to be honest about that. Finally, I say this. When an encounter with God, I think, and we always miss this, I think God is perhaps mostly working through other people, particularly other Christians, who are in your life. We, you guys, so often want a mystical and mysterious, like God to come down and show himself to us or something, like this radical uh, missionary type crazy experience. And that's not wrong. And that can happen and that does happen. And it is not wrong to seek that. But I think most often today, God moves and speaks to us through other Christians around us and we just don't see it. When someone goes, I don't feel the presence of God, I go, are you feeling the presence of anybody? Are there other Christians in your life who you are letting speak into you? Because I bet you there's a huge theme in Scripture that Jesus kind of shows himself through the poor and the marginalized and the downtrodden. Man, I think Jesus shows himself strictly just in other Christians. I mean, what other plain and obvious way would he show himself to us? Your small group leader? Do you respect what they have to say when you go to small group on Wednesday night? Do you want their, their opinions? Do you want their input? So don't miss other Christians speaking into you. Ask yourself this question. What's my greatest treasure right now in my life? What is my greatest treasure really? What do I value the most? And so I ask you this question. What does God want to change in you? You need to embrace whatever it is that God has for you and make a firm decision to act on that. Sometimes I think we totally miss, we just are 100% passive and think that God is going to come down and do some miraculous thing in our lives. We need to make a decision to do certain things, to obey, to go seek a friend who's lost, who's going down a wrong path. Real quick, I'm going to read this. I know I'm, I'm out of time. This is a decision that I made that I just came up with. I, I put this, I will receive and remind myself of my identity in Christ, that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, having entered the kingdom of God. I'm a child of the living God. I'm a student of Jesus Christ. He's my master. He's my teacher. My life in Christ is whole and blessed, no matter what has or has not been done to me in my past. I will find my identity in Christ alone and not in what others think or do. I will not compare myself with others. Man, that's a struggle for me. And I know it's a struggle for you. We compare ourselves with others. Maybe it just starts with that. So take a good look at your life tonight. How are you living it? Are you being fake? Do you come to Oasis week in and week out and put on a fake face and you're not like that at all at school the rest of the week? Maybe it starts there to go, I want to live with integrity and I want to stop using that language or I want to stop muttering about other people. I want to stop gossiping. What is it for you? Jesus wants to flip your life. Are you willing to let him do it? All right, let's pray. God, we need you. Thank you for flipping so many lives. God, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, as we look back in the the history of time. God, I thank you that you gave us good news, not another religion. It's not karma. It's not, oh, if I do bad, bad things are going to come to me. It's not, I have to get my act straight before you will love and accept me. No, no, you accept us, therefore we obey. So God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the costly, costly blood of Jesus that took 
our penalty for our sins, that you are our substitute, Jesus. We need that, and that's our starting place. But God, may we not stop there. I pray that we would seek a life of holiness, that we would want you, that we would look at our lives, and that we would be a different kind of person in our high schools, in Omaha, and in Iowa, and in our homes, and all over the place. God, make us a different kind of people. You want to flip our lives. I pray that we'd let you do that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We were just kids.